Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's been one of those weeks. I've got my stool. Do you relate? No, no. This is for later, I promise. We're going to talk about the stool in a little bit. But uh, welcome. So glad to be with you as we uh, continue in this series. We've been talking about Jesus uh, over the last, actually, like six weeks. Um, today, I want us to put in mind uh, the reality that we live in a bit of a fake world, don't we? There's a lot of fake things all around us, Uh, fake bodies, right, fake lashes, fake nails, fake you name it, fake things, fake purses, fake merchandise, technology, fake news, right, fake entertainment. Uh, Our social media can be often so fake. Uh, Wrestling, which we kind of love, but it's fake. We know it's fake, right? And did you know that you can get fake diplomas? Thousands of people around the world purchase diplomas, and it would horrify you to know the kinds of diplomas you can buy uh, for something like, you know, $250,000. But still, you can get a diploma to be a contractor, a defense contractor of all things, a consultant, a nurse. Here's the scariest one, a doctor. Yeah, how would you like to go to one of those fake doctors? There's so much fake stuff that truly we kind of become numb to it in a way. We, we tolerate it as just a, a way of life, how things are. And, you know, we can deal with fake stuff, but the one thing we can't tolerate, we don't like at all, we don't want to even be with is fake people. Are you with me? How do you feel about fake people? I want to hear you. Mmm, right? Not so good. We don't like fake people. And of all fake people, the kind of fake people I think we and everyone else really dislikes is fake Christians, right? How do you feel about fake Christians? Mm, right? Yeah, thumbs down for sure. And so does the world, right? So many people are, are leaving the church because they feel like they're walking in and they just see a whole bunch of fake Christians. And as we we're going to look at uh, the word today, I feel like a sense of a calling. This is the time, the time for Christians to be real to be real people, to be real about their journey, their struggle, to be real about their faith. The world needs that, desperately needs us to do that. And while we might be a little confused or fuzzy about what does it look like to be a real Christian, Jesus is not. And as we're going to read his word today, I think we're going to see how it is that Jesus judges who a real Christian is from one that is not. And by the way, the word Christian, just for extra credit, the term was not a term Jesus used. It was used a long time, yet nine years after Jesus died and was resurrected. It was used of those followers of Jesus, those Christ followers. That's why they came up with the term Christian. And it was actually used about them in a negative way because they they actually looked like Jesus and people didn't like that. And so the idea of, quote, being a Christian 
It's actually something that ought to look like Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Did you know that 24 of the 27 books of the New Testament talk about fruit in one way or the other? And this idea of fruit is essentially an expression of a production that comes of what's inside of us. In fact, fruit is the outward expression or demonstration of one's inward posture towards Jesus. What we produce has a lot to do with how we view Jesus, how we trust Jesus, how we follow Jesus. And Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He said this, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Jesus is after fruit, but not just any fruit. He's after good fruit. And not just any fruit. Jesus says, you know, uh, figs cannot be gathered from thorn bushes and grapes cannot be picked from a bramble bush, whatever that is. But his point is, it's not any fruit. It's not just good fruit. Followers of Jesus ought to produce fruit that looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like Jesus himself. You and I are to produce fruit in our lives that is recognizable as something coming from Jesus. And so as we look at today's passage, I think we're going to be called to do something. This is one of the I am statements that we can't sort of sit under and go, oh, that's really nice that Jesus is like that. This one is going to call us to action. And so I want you to hear it from Jesus himself, just in case I totally mess up the sermon somehow, because I'm really tired this week. Listen to his words, how he describes what a fruitful Christian ought to look like. John chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, so remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than than this, sorry, greater love has No one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let me pray. Jesus, as we hear the words you said to your disciples, I pray for all of us as we go deeper into these words, I pray that you would be the one to guide us. There is so much, so much that you are telling us through this passage, but Lord, would you speak clearly to each and every one of us that we might know how to follow you truly, faithfully, and that we might produce fruit, good fruit, fruit that looks like you, so that the world will be blessed, that we might be blessed, that others might be blessed, that others might see your good love for us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We ask that you are the loudest voice. You are the clearest voice. Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts of every person here in the way that only you know how. We submit this time and this word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is the seventh I am statement of Jesus. And before we dig into it, I, I, want, us, I want to tell you two things. One is you have an outline before you, and we're not going to get to the back of the outline. But we can't get through the first part of the outline without understanding what Jesus is actually doing. When he says, I am, he does this over and over again as John captured his words Jesus is actually claiming to be God in the flesh. He is claiming to be the Father's Son. And this offended the people that heard him say, every time he said it, it offended people because he was taking a position that was threatening to them. And when we listen to these words, each one of them point back to God's character. Jesus is revealing to us who the Father is. When he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, as we have studied over the past weeks. Later, he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, the way and the truth. What Jesus is saying, I am, I am the creator. That goes back to Exodus chapter 3. When Moses was called by God to go and rescue the people of Israel, Moses said, who shall I send as sending me? And God says, I am who I am, or I am that I am. A very difficult words to translate, but essentially what Mo- God was telling Moses is the eternal one, the ever existent, the one that's never created, the beginning to an end, the never changing, the forever one, the creator, I send you, the one that was, is, and will be, I send you, I am. And Jesus points back to that and refers to himself as that I am. And as we will see today, Jesus is basically saying, unless you believe that I am, there's very little you can do. Listen, in John chapter 8, 24, it says, unless you believe that I am, 
you will die in your sins. What we heard as we listened today, Jesus says, unless you remain in me, you will not produce any fruit. Unless you believe. He's essentially saying, you've got to make a decision. Do you believe in me as the great I am? Now, did you notice something as I read that? The amount of repetition. I mean, the word remain is in there 11 times in only 18 verses. Now, when scripture repeats itself like twice, we ought to pay attention. When scripture repeats itself 11 times, what do you think? This is like, okay, let's really lean in because Jesus says, remain, 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 remain. It's said over and over and over again. And we have to think about when was Jesus saying this? It happened uh, on Thursday before he was crucified when Jesus gathered his disciples and had a meal with them. He took off his robe. He got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. He served them. He told them, as I serve you, you are to serve others. He sat at the table and he identified the one at the table that would betray him, Judas. Judas leaves. Now Jesus takes 11 disciples, 11 followers, and he's walking towards the garden to pray to the Father. And along the way, he tells them what we just read. Along the way, he tells the 11 who are following him, you must remain in me. You are going to do great things. And in fact, they all do. But you can only do so if you remain in me, if you stay faithful to me, if you're not like the Judas. It's both a promise and a provision. Jesus says, you will bear much fruit if you remain in me. A promise and a provision. You will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. You will not be able to accomplish what has already been prepared for you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And now he gives them a kind of a, a choice that they must make to either trust him or not trust him. And he actually says this, he says, if you do not remain in me, these are scary words to read actually, it says you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, thrown into the fire and burn. Now, this is why I need my little stool. <laughs> because here's the thing. He said, unless we trust Jesus, unless we're faithful to Jesus, unless we're steadfast with Jesus, we cannot produce. He's essentially pointing back to Judas. Do you want to be like Judas? No, they didn't want to be like Judas. We don't want to be like Judas. If we don't remain in him, we can produce nothing. If we don't trust God, we can produce nothing. But if we do trust, if we do remain, verse 7 if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. That's how you will show that you are my disciples. If you trust, you will bear much fruit. Now, you probably have seen this illustration used by our senior pastor, Kenton, when he says, this is the picture of our faith and trust in Jesus. And this is typically what we tend to do. We tend to sit on the stool like this. Part of us trusting in Jesus, part of us trusting in the Lord. We say, okay, Jesus, I'll trust you a little bit. You seem like a pretty good guy. I'll give you a little part of my life, but I have to think, remain in control somehow. And what we need to remember today, in order to be fruitful, this does not work. Jesus is saying, you must remain in me. Only through me will you produce fruit. 
And so it's more like this posture. Okay, Jesus, whatever you call me to do, I'm in. It's a total surrendered kind of posture. I am not putting myself any, I'm not hedging my bets. I'm not trusting in the world. I'm completely trusting in you. You know what's ironic about this? Is that this is actually more comfortable. It's actually quite restful. When we trust Jesus fully and we let him produce in our lives the fruit, we get to rest in his presence. We get to rest in him. We're not struggling and fighting like, okay, I'll do it my way. I'll do it your way. I do it my way. I do it, you know, that doesn't work. And while we might produce some fruit, we're not going to produce the abundance we were created to. And it's counterintuitive. Resting in Jesus and trusting that he is the one that can produce fruit in us, it's actually more freeing than trying to do it on our own accord. We who like to control everything, anybody with me? Okay, control anonymous group right here. We tend to try to do things on our own accord, and Jesus is saying, no, you must remain in me. You want to have a life that is fruitful. You must trust me. You must put all of your trust on me. There is no such thing as a fruitful Christian that is doing things in their own accord. And just to be sure you don't get, this is a a passage that's often misunderstood. This is not a passage saying that if you have put your life to Jesus, if you have said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you could lose it if you don't trust him. You know, when it says the branches are cut off, some people say, well, that means we could lose our salvation. There's no such thing. That is not what this passage is saying. This passage is speaking about those who don't trust Jesus at all, but those who do. Those who put their trust in Jesus will be fruitful. Maybe a little teeny bit of fruit because maybe we're not fully trusting him. But make no mistake, every single one of us who say yes to Jesus will produce fruit because whose task is it to produce fruit, ours or God's? It's God's. It's the vine that produces the fruit. We get to simply trust and let him do that through us. Now, the question is, how much are we trusting him to produce this fruit? How much are we surrendering to him that he might produce that fruit into our lives? We have to make a decision. We have to choose, trust Jesus fully or not. And that's not always easy, is it? Right? Now, the other thing Jesus tells them is that we get to make, it's, it's not just about trusting him, but it's about loving like he does and being obedient like he is. He says this in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus now says, listen, this is what it looks like to abide and remain in me, which is to love like I love and be obedient as I am obedient. And, you know, we like the idea of the love piece, right? Loving one another. In fact, John 13 says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if we love one another. And that is the, uh, essentially the golden rule. Every religion has it. Love others as you love yourself, right? But the re- and that's okay, but nobody likes the obedience piece. Nobody likes the other side of it. Like, we have to actually be obedient to what God calls us to do. 
in reality, they're both challenging because both love and obedience is calling us to something greater than we are, greater than we can. Um, Jim and I have been married uh, almost 15 years now, and two years into our marriage, I learned this the hard way. Uh, we, we got into a little, teeny, little fight. Anybody got one of those? Teeny little fight. And so here's what happened. So I bought one of those mats that you uh, dry your dishes and you put on the, on the counter. And so when you're washing your dishes and you put the dishes down to dry, it doesn't make the counter all wet, right? Which is really nice. Problem was, dishes were getting washed and put on that mat, and then they would just stay there and never got put away. So I got so flustered because I like my counter nice and clean. I took the mats and I got rid of them. And one day he asked me, where did the mats go? And I said something really snarky and not so nice. And so he got all upset too. And then, <laughs> and that was it. We were in this battle and I, you know, I was so upset. I went upstairs. I closed myself in the toilet closet, not to do anything, but just simply to hide and have a little moment with God. And I said to God, God, dear goodness, this is marriage. It's only two years, and there's no way we're going to survive this marriage. I mean, clearly, he's wrong. And I got to thinking, you love Jim more than I do. Your love is perfect. You know how to love difficult people, including me. Can you, can you help me? Can you help me learn how to love them? Because I don't think if you don't, I don't think this marriage is going to make it. Because I look at my life, and clearly, I don't know how to love people the way that you love. Jesus says, love others the way I loved you. Well, man, I have no clue how to love like that. And I, and I said that prayer, and before I knew it, this thought came into my mind. And I knew it was God. Let me tell you how I know it was God. I would have never thought of this. You're at this moment where God speaks, and you go, wow, I, that never even came to my mind. And immediately I sensed God saying to me, go downstairs and say, I'm sorry. Ah, no, I'm not wrong. How could I apologize? I have nothing to apologize over. But it wasn't just that. Go downstairs, say, I'm sorry. Get on your knees and put your hand on him. Okay, now, God, you've gone too far. First of all, when I'm upset, never on my knees. I never get on my knees. I want to fight from up here, you know? And touching someone, no, that's like sparks going go out. If I get touched or someone touches me, but I'm upset. So all of this was counterintuitive and nothing, nothing I would ever imagine doing. And so as I'm having a little moment of no, thank you very much, uh, goodbye, I've since got saying to me, wait, did you not just ask me how to love the way that I love? Hmm. All right. So I get out of the bathroom, and I'm going to walk down to where he is. And our house is a two-story house, and I was upstairs. He was down in the, in the family room. I had to walk through the stairs down and come down. Oh, my goodness. It was like the longest distance, a marathon of a distance. And if you've been to the La Brea Tar Pits, anybody, anybody? It was like a dinosaur stuck in tar. And I'm walking, and my, my feet are barely able to go from, you know, I'm going all the way there to do what God called me to do. And I finally get to where he's sitting, and he looks at me, and he's thinking, oh, dear, there she comes. Because usually when we got into a fight, it was loud, crazy, and all Puerto Rican. And he was like, this woman is going to unleash on me. And I, I came up to him, and to his total shock and surprise, 
I got on my knees, and it was hard, very hard. And I put my hand on his knee, and I said those words, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, Oscar. I, I, yeah, because I wasn't feeling that at the moment. <laughs> you know, everything changed for Jim and I from that point. It was this moment where I got to learn to love the way Jesus loved. I wanted to be right. I wanted to have my way. I wanted to say my peace. I wanted him to do as I wanted to do in Jesus' love the way I love. And that changed everything for us. It was a combination of love and obedience that I had never really lived out before. And this idea of, of simply just trusting God to love like he does and be obedient to the Father the way Jesus was obedient, it, it came alive for me that very moment. And in our marriage, it changed everything. And we've been married 15 years, and we've had one or two or three other little fights. <laughs> and that's where I go now. That's where I go to ask God, how, how do I love here? How do I love now? What do you want me to do now? Because there's no better way to live our lives than to trust Jesus who wants nothing but the best, who wants to produce fruit in us. That moment produced fruit in our marriage. It produced fruit in me, my character. It produced fruit in my husband. It produced fruit in our marriage. And, and there's so many moments like that when we allow Jesus to be the vine and we ourselves become the branches. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done and yet the easiest thing I'd ever done. Because, you know, you get into a fight. It goes on and on forever. Isn't it exhausting and nobody wins in the end? This ended it. It ended it. Because Jesus says, love like I do. Be obedient like I'm obedient. You see, each and every one of us has been called to be fruitful. We were created, Ephesians 2 says, to produce good deeds, good fruit, essentially. God already knows the fruit you are going to create. God has already prepared you for that fruit. The only question is, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to be real with Jesus? Are you willing to obey him? Are you willing to love the way he loves? And you know, you know what I want for us here at the chapel? This building is, it's unique in one way, and that is it's, it's not a dark room, right? If you're a first timer here, you, you already know, it's like, wow, this place feels different. Yeah. For some of you, you come to the chapel because it reminds you maybe of the church that you used to go to, and you just love being in a building that feels like a church, you know, not like a, some sort of a concert hall. For some of you, you come because this place feels, you know, it's more liturgical. We have communion. We have the candles. We have the cross. There's, there's things to do. You don't just get to sit. That's why you love it. Some of you come because you actually want to be seen because you want to be in a community where you get to know people and you see them on a regular basis. You know what I want for us? I want all of that. What I really want for us is to be real people, to be real with one another, to be real with Jesus, to be attached to him as our vine and to be fruitful because of it. 
And so, we you know, we say hello to one another. And when we're out, outside of here and we say hi to people and they say, how are you doing? You go, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, you walk away and it's like, yeah, I have a bunch of things that I could have said, but that seemed like the easiest, simplest thing. And nobody wants to hear the rest of it anyway. Anybody feel like that sometimes? This morning, every, every Sunday, our worship team, our volunteers, our prayer team, we gather in a circle and we pray before the services. And normally we just pray. And today we started to share kind of like what we're dealing with, what kind of week we've had. And, you know, it changed everything. All of a sudden we were so much closer because we understood the various struggles and victories and celebrations and sadness that our different people had in the group. I imagine if we could be real with one another. Imagine if when you greet one another, you don't just say, how you do, I'm fine. You actually take one extra step and you actually want to know more about someone or tell someone more about what's happening with you. It's very exposing to be real. You know, and I, I, if you've come to the chapel for a while, you've heard my stories, you've heard my messes, you've, you've heard all these things. Some of you say to me, man, you're so courageous. Wow, oh, you know, you're so vulnerable. What I like about you is you, you tell it how it is. I'm thinking, listen, I'm not having fun doing that. It's not like I want a place where I can go and tell you all my junk. But I want, hopefully, I'm trying to model for you what I want us to be. Not just me to you, but you towards each other, you towards me. I want us to really care and know each other and be real with each other because this is where we get to practice. The minute we walk out of the building, it's totally different out there. People don't want to know. If we're not real here, can we be real out there? No. So this is the place to go one step deeper. You and I have been chosen to be fruitful. Verse 16 and 17 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It's not whatever you ask, like, hey, God, can I have a Cadillac? Or whatever, can I have a bigger house? Can I have what? No, it's maybe you need to ask God like I had to ask God, God, how do I love the way that you love? Can you give me wisdom? Can you give me courage to be obedient? Can you give me discernment? Ask. He will give you these things. And then he closes it with, this is my command, love each other. On the back of the outline is the extra credit stuff. It's a picture for you and for me of what fruit looks like. It's a change in attitude. It's a change in the way we are, not created by us, but created by Jesus. When we let Jesus be the vine, he makes us kinder, gentler, more patient. He gives us strength to endure. He makes us humble. He actually even makes us wise. But he also, he also calls us into action. So being real with Jesus means we're actually going into action. We're putting our faith into action. We're putting our, our, our actions together with our words so that the world can see, others can see Jesus through us, that our fruit might smell like, taste like, look like, feel like Jesus himself. And then you're, I'm going to close this today with inviting you to take one 
baby step. Today, as we respond to the various stations here at the chapel, if you're new, we have a, a, obviously, we take communion every Sunday where you come down the aisle, you take the bread, you dip it in the cup. And this is a reminder that Jesus really loved us. I mean, I talk about getting down on my knees and apologizing to my husband like it was this huge sacrifice. But really, Jesus, who knew no sin, who did nothing wrong, took on the penalty of every sin that you and I have done and will do so that we could have the life he deserves. That's a love beyond all measure, a sacrificial kind of love. And we come and we're reminded of that. We go to the cross and we're reminded that we're broken people, that to be real is to acknowledge that, you you know, as good as you look, as good as I might look, I got my gunk. I have my, the sides of me that are not so good. I have my tendencies. I have my own sins. And I need Jesus to help me overcome my pride, my selfishness, my self-righteousness, you name it. When we go to the cross and we confess, we're reminded Jesus paid for that too. And he will change us from the inside out if we trust him. And we come to the candles, we light them as a way to remember the hope that we have in him. And even in the darkest moments, he's with us. We go to the offering boxes. We give so that whatever we have, God can use to develop even greater fruit. Today, I want to invite you to something more. Our elders will be up front here. I will be up here. Our prayer team will be around the room. I want to invite you to take a a courageous step to actually go beyond the, hey, I'm fine, all's good kind of statement and actually Say something more to someone else, someone you don't know. Ooh, are you ready for that? And maybe you'll, while you're walking around the room or after the service when you're on the patio, you'll have a conversation with somebody you'll know, and you'll want to know a little bit more about them, and you'll let them know a little bit more about you. Wherever, whatever level you're comfortable in, just take one step. Let's practice loving like Jesus loved, being obedient like he was. Let's practice being real Christians, right? Are you ready? No, you don't look ready. Let me pray for you. (laughs) Heavenly Father, look at your children. Oh, we want, we want to be branches that trust you fully, Lord. We want to be fruitful people. We want to see you work through us and in us in mighty ways. We want to see the world change because of what you do in us. We want to have a legacy. We want to have purpose. We want to see good things come out of our lives. And Lord, we know that you call us into action. And so would you help my brothers and sisters, would you help all of us take a baby step today to trust you more, to lean on you, to be vulnerable, to be transparent with one another. We're all in it together. We're just branches, just branches, not one branch better than the other, all of us attached to you. And if we're fruitful, we're only fruitful because of you. So would you guard this moment where we get to be real with one another, with your presence, with your power, with your comfort, with your wisdom? Would you close this space 
We're just surrounded by angels so that we could have a sweet, sweet moment with you and experience your love in a way that we cannot experience outside of this place. That we walk out, Lord, like the disciples in awe of who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and respond. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.